The Seahawks surprised much of the NFL draft world by selecting a cornerback with a fifth overall pick. What are some realistic expectations for Devin Witherspoon heading into his rookie season in the Pacific Northwest? Rob Rang and I are going to be breaking it all down in our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. You are Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seattle Seahawks podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Aloha 12s. This is Corbin Smith, host of the Locked On Seahawks podcast here from Hawaii. Glad to be joined for our Tuesday episode by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang. And a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. We apologize for the show starting a little bit late. This was my fault because I didn't know that Hawaii doesn't do daylight savings time. And so Seattle's actually three hours different. We messed up our times a little bit. But anyway, we are both here and we are ready to talk about Seattle's fifth overall pick, Devin Witherspoon. A little bit more in depth on his game, what the Seahawks see in him, and expectations for his upcoming rookie season in Seattle secondary. Plus, we'll check out the reported offensive undrafted free agent signings, a handful of intriguing players that will be participating in Seattle's rookie minicamp coming up, not this weekend, but the weekend after. Jam-packed episode coming your way, courtesy of FanDuel Sportsbook, the official sportsbook of the NFL. Make every moment more. Visit FanDuel.com slash locked on today to get started. Now for our lead story here on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. Prior to the 2023 NFL Draft, the Seahawks had never selected a cornerback under John Schneider and Pete Carroll earlier than the third round. Shaquille Griffin back in 2017. Many were skeptical that they were going to buck that trend this season. But the Seahawks decided to do what they've done so many times under John Schneider and Pete Carroll and threw a curveball into the equation, drafting Devin Witherspoon out of Illinois. I guess some of us saw that curveball coming, but there were most people did not. Most people anticipated it was going to be Jalen Carter or Tyree Wilson or one of those other quarterbacks if they fell to the Seahawks at number five. And yet it's clear listening to Pete Carroll talk about Witherspoon after they made the selection last Thursday that he has been on their radar for quite some time as one of the few possibilities to take with that top five pick that they hadn't had since 2009. Let's take a listen to Pete Carroll's comments about what stood out to him in the process with Devin Witherspoon and why the Seahawks ended up picking him in the top five last week. Watched his highlight film. <laughs> you know, that's where it starts. You know, you get to see the play. And, and then I'm, you know, he would note to you that I'm, I'm asking questions about why he did what he did on the plays that, that stood out and where was his, you know, where was his vision and his, you know, insights into those moments and stuff. Cause I'm trying to figure out where it's coming from. And, uh, he, I'm talking about Devin in particular right now that he had a real, uh, a real clear path to understanding of what, why he's taking the shots that he takes and why he's willing to go beyond where other players will go. And, and that have separated him in this draft as a player and a performer and a big play guy. And, and, uh, and, I, and I, you know, just I'm always looking for that. And, and so when it just hit, we hit right, he answered the questions just right and, and aced the test. And, and it was obvious to me that we had a guy that was really special and, you know, and we were just hoping we would be able to, you know, reconnect. And so um, very feel very fortunate that it worked out. It's really interesting when you listen to the comments, Rob, from Pete Carroll after the draft on Thursday night and then the day, the morning after when they had both their first round picks 
for press conferences and the comments that he has made about Devin Witherspoon, and obviously the toughness and physicality. Those were two major areas that jumped out to both Carol and John Schneider, but he kept going back to the instincts, the playmaking instincts. This is, again, not a guy that's played football very long compared to some of these other top prospects, and yet you can see his ability to diagnose plays pre-snap, the blown-up screen that he had to open the game against Indiana being the one that always jumps out in my mind. And it's just obvious that that is really what stuck with Pete Carroll, the, the kid's playmaking acumen, understanding what the offense is doing, and being able to go after it and make those game-changing plays, which that's what you're looking for from a player that you pick with the number five overall selection. Yeah, a lot of really good points there, Corbin. I'm going to kind of go back to the very beginning here where you just kind of mentioned that how unexpected it was for some of us. Um, you know, I mean, one of my – I know this is obviously a, a podcast on football. One of my favorite baseball movies is Major League, and I was like Pedro Serrano up there, if you know that movie. I mean, I just – you know, hacking at a, at a curveball um, because I, I just was completely baffled um, when when Seattle took uh, Devin Witherspoon at number five overall because I was, again, so, f- focusing so much on the line of scrimmage. But at the same time, when you watch him on tape, you understand why they would throw that curveball um, because he is just a, a fantastic player. As you mentioned, uh, you know, he's a guy that doesn't have a lot of experience because he focused in on on basketball um, early in his, uh, you know, his prep career. And um, and that's why he was a zero star recruit to me. It was kind of like Lucas Van Ness being a guy that, you know, wound up being obviously a top 15 selection by the Green Bay Packers, despite having zero career starts, uh, you know, with, with Witherspoon having uh, being a zero star recruit. It's like none of that stuff actually matters. Just watch the tape. Like Pete Carroll said, did you see this guy's highlights? You know, I mean, it's when you watch him, it, it's just so obvious what a what a natural football player the Witherspoon is. I mean, he he only has five career interceptions i don't want to make it sound like this is a guy that you know is Deion sanders back there um and is just taking every interception back for touchdowns and things like that he is more well-rounded well I don't, again i don't want to throw any shade at Deion sanders uh because he's a fantastic football player uh, and a pretty darn good coach but with witherspoon what i mean is that he is a more well-rounded player than just that ball hawk and i think that's sometimes what people think that p carroll means um you know when, when you say a a, a playmaker a, a big play specialist he, he is also so good against the run he is also so good in diagnosing those screenplays as you mentioned before he's just one of those guys that um just throws his body around um plays with reckless abandon, locates the football, shows calm, shows athletic ability. Um, it's just a fluid athlete. I mean, he really is, in a lot of ways, one of the complete packages of this draft class, and that's why uh, it completely justifies Seattle's selection here. And that's why when it's all said and done, I think that he is going to continue um, to prove that that zero-star recruiting stuff is, is nonsense. I think that he is going to walk in and be Seattle's starter opposite Tariq Woolen. Um, I think that he is going to give Seattle one of the better young tandems in all of the NFL. And again, justifying Seattle's selection of him at number five. And uh, again, um, proving that at least in the case of one draft analyst, that the Seahawks can throw a curveball every now and then. It's interesting when you look at the profile, because size-wise, Witherspoon doesn't necessarily look like what Seattle has prioritized. And we know that has changed in the last few years with players like DJ Reed and Trey Brown getting drafted. They are not necessarily putting themselves in a corner where they have to draft guys with 32-plus-inch arms. 
But this kid checked off every other box in terms of the toughness. And the fact that he hadn't played much football and he goes into Illinois as a zero-star recruit, and he's starting in the secondary by the end of his true freshman season. For Lovey Smith, by the way, a longtime NFL coach. So it's fascinating looking at all of those different types of traits that he brings to the table, aside from the length, that check off what Seattle wants. Elite instincts a former basketball player. So he checks off that multi-sport competitor aspect. And then the pass breakups, the passer rating, completion rate, the ability to come up and smack people. First team All-American. You pick him at number five. This is just as Pete Carroll said. They haven't had this chance. They have never picked a corner this early. And we talked about this a little bit a few weeks ago. This was the opportunity they had not had where there was truly this elite talent, this rare talent that – changes the game we are willing to take a guy like this because he is that strong of a player and can do so many different things and of course that lends itself to high expectations rob because now you drafted this kid at number five you bypassed jalen carter who many viewed as the most talented player in this draft class you bypassed on tyree wilson who's got a really high ceiling now the pressure is on Devin Witherspoon, but I think that this is a kid that has shown that he's not going to wither the pressure, and he's just really excited to play the game, great passion for the game, and that's another reason why John Schreier, Pete Carroll were very eager to make this pick when he was still there at number five. Yeah, exactly. He's a playmaker. He's safe. And I think that that's, again, why, why Seattle just felt like he had to be the selection. I mean, and that's, you know, we uh, th- there's been reports here since that both the, the Seahawks and uh, Wisconsin head coach Brett Breedlema have have confirmed that, um, you know, they were talking the day of the draft. So, again, this was not a case of um, the, the Seahawks just taking the best player that fell to them. I think they were fully intended to take uh, Devin Witherspoon at, at number five overall. Who knows what might have happened? if Anthony Richardson, the Florida quarterback, had fallen to them at number five. Um, but uh, the, the reality is, is that Seattle did have their options for some of those talented defensive linemen and chose Witherspoon over them. Um, the cornerback class, uh, there, in my opinion, there were two elite prospects, Witherspoon and Oregon's Christian Gonzalez. I personally had Gonzalez as the higher-rated prospect. I still absolutely love his athleticism. But when it comes to just grit, physicality, nastiness in, in run support, the kind of things that the Seahawks have prioritized, as you mentioned before, there's no question that Witherspoon is a, a higher-rated prospect in that regard. Um, you know, And so, again, I, the, the reason why... Why I personally, and I'll just mention this real quick, why I was a little bit lower on Witherspoon is, is because I did have some concerns about the fact that he was surrounded by as much talent as he was. Of course, two of the other uh, three uh, secondary starters for the Illini were drafted uh, in the top 75 picks this year. So um, so I think that that bears some, um, you know, acknowledgement as well. Um, but at the same time, I had Witherspoon as a top 10 lock actually had him going number six overall to the Detroit lions. Um, you know, one pick after the, after the Seahawks, obviously. So again, I think this is a, is a selection that Seahawks fans are going to be very, very happy with, uh, in the future, even if they're not happy with the selection right now. Yeah. We're going to be discussing here coming up next, looking at the depth chart, where Witherspoon fits in. And obviously he's a top five pick. I mean, I know Pete wants to push the always compete mantra. They're not just going to give away a starting job, but when you pick a corner fifth overall, uh, the expectation is you're not just going to be a starter. You're going to be a very good starter out of the gate. And so 
again, that creates some pressure on the prospect, but the Seahawks believe with his mental makeup and his competitiveness that that is not going to be an issue going into his rookie season with the Seahawks. We're going to be checking out that depth chart at cornerback and where things stand for the entire group and maybe make an argument why it is the deepest position group now for the Seahawks on their entire roster. We'll get to that here in a moment on our Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks. This episode is brought your way by FanDuel. The NBA playoffs are now entering the conference semifinals. Now is the perfect time to download FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook, because new customers get a no-sweat first bet up to $1,000. That's bonus bets back if your first bet doesn't win. Just download the FanDuel Sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Then you can bet on everything from the money line to points scored and three-pointers drained. I'm a huge fan of player prop parlays, and you can make bets such as Clay Thompson, the Warriors, scoring 20 points at negative 195. Plus, FanDuel even lets you combine your bets for a chance at a bigger payout with a same-game parlay. So don't miss the chance to get your no-sweat first bet up to $1,000 in bonus bets when you go to FanDuel.com slash locked on. That's FanDuel.com slash locked on to learn more. Make every moment more with FanDuel, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. You're listening to the Tuesday edition of Locked On Seahawks, your daily Seahawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. I'm your host, Corbin Smith, reporting here from Hawaii. Glad to be joined, as always, by my co-host in crime, Rob Rang, and a special thanks to all the 12s out there for making Locked On Seahawks your first listen five days a week. For our everydayers, make sure you're listening into our Wednesday episode. We're going to discuss whether or not the Seahawks made the right call declining Jordan Brooks' fifth-year option Coming off an injury, certainly an interesting discussion looking back at the decision made by John Schneider and the front office. We'll get to that on our Wednesday episode. Let's continue talking cornerbacks. Devin Witherspoon now entering the mix is easily the highest cornerback drafted by John Schneider and Pete Carroll with the number five overall selection. He was one of two players that Schneider said that they were not willing to trade down from number five if that player was available. I'm assuming that Anthony Richardson was the other one that they would have been looking at at that spot as well, but they select Devin Witherspoon. And we were talking about this a few days ago, Rob, that you even thought they weren't going to draft a corner at all in the seven rounds. And the big reason why was because of the returning talent that they already had at the position. And so this truly is the most competitive, the deepest position group now on Seattle's roster. And there's going to be some pretty good players. They're going to have a very hard time finding their way on the field for this football team in the secondary. Yep, exactly. As you said, I, I did not expect Seattle to take a cornerback in the 2023 NFL draft, primar or primarily because of the fact that Seattle already has six cornerbacks signed through 2023 and the 2024 seasons. And so this was a little bit of a luxury selection in, in some in some ways. Um, but at the same time, it is I don't know that you can that luxury is really the word I I should be using at this point when you're talking about a player that plays such a premium position as cornerback and the guy happens to be as good as I believe that uh, Devin Witherspoon is. When you look at the way that the lineup sets up, for those of you on YouTube can see it, right cornerback position, the way we're projecting is Tariq Wollin as the starter. Trey Brown is the primary backup of that slot position. Kobe Bryant as the starter. Jarek Reed, uh, the second um, being the, the primary backup. And at that left cornerback spot, rather than being the incumbent Mike Jackson as a starter, we're projecting Devin Witherspoon to take that spot. Um, and then Isaiah Dunn uh, back uh, playing third role there um so again that that's the way that we currently view it and, and i agree i mean i, I think that the, the weather with weatherspoon uh 
you don't take him at number five overall with the expectation that he's not going to be that starter. Mike Jackson is a good football player. I have no doubt that he is going to compete his butt off. Uh, but at the same time, I just think that Witherspoon, not only in the long term, is going to be you know the more talented player, clearly. Uh, I think that he's going to just show off his grit from the get-go. And so barring any kind of uh, you know, unforeseen circumstances that arise, I, I think that it feel, you should feel pretty safe thinking that, that he is going to be the starter on opening day. Yeah, you got to feel a little bit for Mike Jackson here just because we've talked about it. I thought he had a very solid season as the starter at the other cornerback position across from Tariq Woolen last year. And were there some mistakes? Absolutely. Far from a perfect player. Only had one interception, but he had quite a few pass breakups. He brings physicality. He'll come up and hit people. But Devin Witherspoon being the number five overall pick and a guy that was going to be a consensus top ten guy is just simply a better football player in all of those facets. He's a harder hitter. He is a more consistent tackler, has better ball skills. They led the country in pass breakups. Maybe the interceptions weren't necessarily there, but some of that was also because Big Ten quarterbacks decided the last couple of years, you know, I think I'm going to take a rain check from throwing at him because if you did, you typically paid for it, whether it was a pass breakup or an interception and just the instincts. And the other thing, and Pete Carroll talked about this, Thursday night after the first round concluded, I asked him about positional versatility and the Seahawks have typically not moved corners. They've kept them on one side of the field. Witherspoon traveled for Illinois, even though that was a phenomenal secondary, he was wherever the best receiver was at. They moved him all over the field. He played in the slot too. He can blitz from the slot. Pete sounded very interested in maybe delving into that with Devin Witherspoon because he is such a rare player. Let's move him around. Let's let him take on best receivers. Let's use him some in the slot. And that would really change the way this entire defense operates. And so I was fascinated by those comments. Maybe that's not the way that it plays out, but this is a different type of player than what the Seahawks have had at the cornerback position with that versatility and all-around talent coming into the league. Top five pick. That's a guy you want moving with the best receiver on the other team. And so it does create an interesting dynamic where maybe he might see some snaps in the slot. You could see Mike Jackson playing on the field as the other boundary corner. It's possible that we could see some mixing and matching with a group that's got a lot of talent. And we haven't even mentioned Trey Brown either for more than a full year removed from that knee injury where he might fit in either at the slot or at the boundary corner competition as well. Yeah, and I happened to catch uh, an interview with, with Wisconsin head, excuse me, Illinois head coach, former Wisconsin head coach Brett Bielema, um, who was talking uh, about Witherspoon, and he kind of talked about the fact that just how instinctive Witherspoon is, and how uh, you know position versatile, um, as you kind of referred to a moment ago, that Witherspoon is as well. That he not only did travel with their top wide receiver, he almost demanded it. Uh, he he would basically like you know. Want, want to argue with people uh, about the fact that he would be insulted if he was not traveling with the best receiver. Um, and, and so the, it's that type of uh, of confidence, that type of, of competitiveness um, that, that he offers you. Um, and again, just the, you know, the, the, the type of things that he's looking at. I mean, he's looking at down and distance. He's looking at the way that the the receiver had had you know set him up previously in the game. Now here that we're in the third or fourth quarter, you know what has changed as the game has gone on, as well as in his pregame um, film preparation. And, and those are the things that Bielema, of course, who's been coaching for an awful long time, coached some really good football players over the years, that he was just floored. 
by that with Witherspoon. So I think that those are all the things that attract Seattle to him and why I do feel confident that he's going to be able to line up wherever he wants. And, and again, I don't want to make this just a Witherspoon versus Mike Jackson. I, I think that Witherspoon is better, frankly, than Tariq Woolen is in a lot of different things. Most certainly when it comes to run support at this early stage in their, um, you know, in their athletic careers, obviously, Woolen has proven at the NFL level at this point, and Witherspoon has not. But just at where Witherspoon is now and where Woolen was then, I mean, they are light years apart. And considering how well the Woolen played this season, consider you know with his limited experience, I feel very confident Pete Carroll and the Seahawks are going to be able to pull off that same kind of uh, of rapid rate of ascent with this young man. And the thing is, he's already really good. So how much better can he become? It really is going to be a fascinating case study because we've seen Pete Carroll and his staff so many different times take corners like Tariq Woolen, who were mid-day three picks and turned them into really darn good starting cornerbacks. They've never had a player that was this polished and already this good coming into the league that that also has the drive that Devin Witherspoon has. And so I think that's the good news. This isn't the guy coming in, hey, I was an elite college cornerback. I've got it made here. I'm going to start. That's not the way this guy's programmed. And I think the Seahawks have known that since their visit with him, just his inquiring of knowledge with Pete Carroll, wanting to watch the tape and and digging into that stuff. And so it is going to be fascinating because they have not had a guy like this. They didn't have a chance to draft him. And now they get to work with him. He's clearly way ahead of the curve compared to where Woolen was last year. Not the same athletically. Nobody's the athlete. The Tariq Woolen is at 6'3", 6'4", playing the cornerback position, but Witherspoon as a football player is a much more polished asset coming to the league. So this is going to be a lot of fun watching this. And there's some really good players that are going to have a hard time finding their way in the field. You're going to have to cut your teeth on special teams as a group, but certainly the deepest position group for the Seahawks. Let's shift gears here now on our Tuesday Locked on Seahawks podcast. Tomorrow we're going to be taking a look at Jordan Brooks situation for our everydayers that listen to the show five days a week. We're also going to be tackling Jackson Smith and Jigba and his fit are the first round pick for the Seahawks where he's going to fit in with the Seahawks going into his rookie season of the receiver core. Let's get to the undrafted free agent, shall we? And the Seahawks, they only have 52 players going in the draft. So they reportedly have signed 28 undrafted free agents. That's the position they found themselves in a lot of roster spots for these young guys to come in. And so we're going to break this up into two segments. Let's talk offensive players today. And Rob, there's some local flavor when we look at these undrafted free agents. There's also some uh, flavor from the quarterback position receiver. There's a lot of East Carolina players on this group as well. Looking at the reported undrafted free agent signings for the Seahawks. What are one or two of these names that jump out to you that intrigue you going into the offseason program? Well, I, I'm going to focus in at the wide receiver position here for a couple of minutes. Um, and I, I think that um, when you think back at Seattle's history, uh, you know, of course, Doug Baldwin and Jermaine Curse, uh, you know, Penny Hart. I mean, Seattle's had a lot of success with undrafted free agents uh, at the receiver position in, the, in this current uh, regime. And so a couple of guys, Jake Bobo from UCLA, 6'4", 200 pounder, previously had been successful elsewhere and, uh, you know, comes to UCLA and in his first year there is, uh, you know, leads the team in, in everything, you know, receiving reception yards, uh, uh, 
um, you know, and, and touchdowns. And then um, uh, I think another one, the six, another six, four guy, uh, Matt Landers from Arkansas. He's the elite athlete of the bunch. Um, you know, this is a guy that is in the four fours, um, 40 inch vertical, all that kind of stuff that you're excited about his upside. Um, and, and then you got kind of the exact opposite in Ty John Lindsay, that little slot receiver from, from Oregon state. Uh, you know, he, he's more in that five, nine, 185 pound range, but he is quick. Um, and he has legitimate speed as well as a four four guy. So to me, that that's one of the position groups I'm most interested in. Um, I'm excited to kind of go to Seattle's rookie minicamp. I, at least I hope I, I get him. Uh, I'm allowed to go to Seattle's rookie minicamp, um, but um, and, and get to watch a bunch of these prospects in in person because, as you said, Corbin, it's just an extremely large class. We talked about this; it, it was to be expected. Then Seattle has to kind of flesh out their roster, and they're up against the cap. Um, I think Seattle's confidence with having a very, very young team um, is, is proven. I mean, they, they still, this is, you want to get John Shine excited. Tell, you know, talk to him about the fact that it is the, you know, they have still have the youngest team ever to win a Super Bowl. That's something they take a great deal of pride in. And so I, I think that this was to be expected, but at the same time, it's such a big class. I, I think that we have to kind of go there and, and lay eyes to see who these prospects are and, and who might be able to actually carve out a spot on Seattle's active roster, or of course, be candidates for the practice squad. I'm glad that you mentioned a number of these receivers. Landers is a player that I thought was going to go on day three just because he is a size athleticism prospect that I think has an immense amount of upside if the right coaching is presented to him and he's able to take to it because he actually ran a 4.3740 at 6.4 over 200 pounds at the combine. And you look statistically, this is not a guy that caught a ton of passes for the Razorbacks. He is very unpolished as a receiver. He is kind of a one or two trick pony, but he's very good at those one or two tricks. Average almost 20 yards per reception during his college career. And so this is a player, he's bounced around, he was with three different schools, was with Georgia, was with Toledo, then Arkansas. He's a player that I'm looking at, though, and thinking there's an immense amount of untapped potential there. You just got to see if you can bring it out of him with that size and speed. We know the Seahawks like players like that, so maybe he's somebody, if he can carve out a special teams role, that maybe can battle for a back half of the roster type spot. And C.J. Johnson from East Carolina, 6'2", over 220 pounds, little different build, but he had a thousand yards and 10 touchdowns last season for the Pirates. And so I do think that there are some receivers here that are interesting. I want to talk a second about the quarterback, Holton Aylers from East Carolina, another one of those Pirates that I went into the draft process thinking that he was going to be a priority undrafted free agent player. He doesn't have a big arm. He's kind of got what I call a pop gun arm. And those kind of guys typically don't make it in the NFL, at least as starters. But he's a smooth-throwing lefty, and every one of the five years he was at East Carolina, his accuracy went up steadily. When he was a freshman, he completed under 50% of his passes. He was erratic. Sometimes he couldn't hit the side of a barn. But last year, completed 67%, had 28 touchdown passes and only five interceptions. And the other thing I like about him, he's not an elite, elite athlete, but he's 230 pounds, 6'3", 230. He's built kind of like a linebacker. He had two years with six rushing touchdowns, and he's been consistently a threat to use his legs in East Carolina's offense. And so John Schneider was talking about wanting to add a quarterback. They didn't draft one, but unlike last year, 
where they signed a few undrafted guys that neither one of us really thought had a chance to really push Drew Locke or Geno Smith. I, I actually am intrigued to see what this kid can do just because of the college production that he had and the fact that he is somewhat of a dual threat that can use his legs a little bit and can throw the football all over the field and improved accuracy-wise. That's a guy that I'm intrigued by, the steady improvement to see what he does competing against Drew Locke and Geno Smith. Not going to be a guy likely on the roster, but maybe he's a practice squad player that they can develop. Yeah, and, you know, of course, we all saw what, what the San Francisco 49ers did a year ago with Brock Purdy and uh, as a guy that just played an awful lot of football. And so he was able to learn an NFL offense early on. And uh, just because he was so experienced at the college level, it just was a little bit easier for him to to make that adjustment. I, I, in no way am I going to try and compare Ehlers to, here to um, – to, to Brock Purdy. But what I am saying is you have a player here who does have that experience. It's a five-year player uh, at East Carolina. Um, he left with 97 touchdowns thrown. And you mentioned the, the dual threat ability. Um, you know, It's that experience. He is going to be able to come in and be able to actually set up the offense. And you're going to be able to evaluate what he can actually do rather than teaching him how to come in from under center or whatever the case might be as an inexperienced player. Remember, everybody, myself included, was kind of linking the Seahawks to Anthony Richardson before, and he had those 13 career starts famously. You know, again, when you have a player like this that has his experience, I think that does make him a little bit more intriguing as an undrafted free agent because he might be somebody that sticks for Seattle, at least uh, if not anything else, and on the, on the, as a practice squad kind of a guy. One other name on this list that I want to talk about because I've been complaining about this for the last like seven or eight years, why the Seahawks have not tried to develop a legitimate fullback. No offense to Nick Ballore, but in this offense, that's not really where he has fit in. He's been a emergency linebacker and a great special teams player, but coming from Louisiana Tech, Griffin Hebert, he was a tight end for the Bulldogs. He's 239 pounds. Maybe they still look at him as a tight end in the NFL, but he ran a four, five, eight and I actually am looking at him thinking this guy screams fullback H-back in today's modern NFL. And Seattle just has not had that guy on their roster that really is going to be able to make catches and do the things that you want in a modern NFL fullback. Hebert is a guy that I'm going to be watching very closely here the next couple of months because that might be a player that can sneak onto a roster for the Seahawks because he can play special teams. He's played tight end. And I think there is a lot of upside there transitioning him to being an H-back or a fullback that could maybe add something different, a new dimension to the Seahawks offense. So that's kind of my wild card from this group to keep an eye on. And obviously we'll be talking about all these players, the ones we know once they officially become Seahawks. We don't know that yet. I, I got a wild card for you as well. Um, he's not on this list because he's not technically on offense, I guess, in a way. But the long snapper, Chris Stoll from Michigan, is a guy that I wanted to make sure that I kind of mentioned as well. Um, he is a player here that um, he was one of, of, of three different long snappers that I kind of viewed as a guy that, that Seattle might have to look at. I'm sorry, I said I said Michigan and state. I'm sorry. But uh, 6'3", 255 pounds. He was the biggest of the long snappers. The other three were Matt Hembro from Oklahoma State, Alex Ward from Central Florida. Stoll was the biggest, 6'3", 255 pounds, as I mentioned. 4'9", 2", in the 40-yard dash. He's not an elite athlete, but he's not bad um, for a long snapping. Um, 11 reps uh, in the bench press uh, at, at their pro day. He was viewed by a lot of NFL teams as the top um, long snapper in this draft. And again, there was three guys that the people viewed um, as possibly being able to come in and, and, you know, really 
compete um, for NFL teams. So that's the wild card I view in this situation. I, I still am surprised that Seattle has not shown more interest in re-signing one of the veterans that's available, including a guy like Tyler Ott. Um, but at the same time, uh, again, that Seattle may have an undrafted free agent here who would be a cheaper candidate uh, at that position. It's going to be interesting to see where these guys fit in because there are so many undrafted rookies and a lot of positions that don't have many players with experience on the roster. So we're going to be watching them closely and breaking down how these players do during OTAs, mini camps, and going into training camp throughout the next couple of months. You can follow me on Twitter, Corbin Smith NFL. You can follow Rob at Rob Rang. Subscribe and follow Locked on Seahawks on YouTube and other major podcast platforms to ensure you don't miss a single episode. Coming up on our Wednesday show, we'll be taking a look at where Jackson Smith and Jigba fits into Seattle's offensive plans as a complimentary weapon and taking a look at whether John Schneider and company made the right call declining Jordan Brooks' fifth-year option on his rookie contract. Hope you'll be listening in. Thanks for tuning into our Tuesday episode. Go Hawks.